2: Hello, and welcome to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Countryfile magazine. My name's Fergus Collins, and I'm your host. And welcome to a new season of mindful escapes into the green outdoors in search of wildlife and wilder people. As well as heading out into beautiful landscapes as autumn stretches into winter, we'll be enjoying some episodes that the team and I recorded over the spring and summer, so expect some soothing escapism at this darker time of year. Our first episode is one such adventure. Podcast regular Annabelle Ross headed to a fabulous meadow in Oxfordshire with a remarkable young botanist, Leif Berswaden, to meet some of the wildflowers and talk about the importance of allowing more nature into our lives. Listen on for an absolute treat. And please don't forget to leave likes and feedback on whatever podcast provider you use.
0: And you can always email me editor at countryfile.com
1: Leif, where have you brought us today?
0: So today we're at Dry Sandford Pit Nature Reserve um, in the Oxfordshire countryside and it's this old abandoned quarry that has just been reclaimed by nature and it is just full of amazing things and I'm really excited (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, absolutely surrounded by all these amazing plants and animals
1: and animals let's go and find some okay look there's one already so we I know that you like to get down
0: I do I do I I think it's very important to get down to the plant's height Um, you can appreciate it in a completely different (laughs) way okay (laughs) not always the easiest thing Um, so this is an oxeye daisy about 30 centimetres tall like your garden daisy you get in the lawn but just much bigger Um, and it has on top of it feeding on its um, nectar a thick kneed flower beetle, which is the most brilliant thing. It's like this metallic shiny green colour. Um,
1: <gasps> okay. And it's
0: just working its way around those yellow flowers in the middle of the daisy. And you can see it, you can see its little tongue <laughs> poking into all these little flowers. Um, because a daisy is not a flower itself, it's actually made up of lots and lots and lots of flowers. Um, So this thing we're looking at with the white around the edge and the yellow in the middle um, are two different kinds of flower. So all the white petals that you'd pick off while playing She Loves Me, She Loves Me Not, they all belong to individual flowers around the edge called ray florets. And then in the middle, the yellow bit, if you look closely, is actually made up of lots and lots and lots of individual yellow flowers. And if you look really closely, um, then you'll see that each one of those yellow dots has five yellow petals and they're called disc florets so they're the ones which have the nectar and the pollen in Um, so that's what the thick-kneed flower beetle is feeding on is all those individual flowers and can you see the most amazing spiral patterns of those yellow flowers in that button
1: so symmetrical
0: Mm. and they're packed in um, in the most efficient way to fit in as many flowers into that space as possible and uh, there's Someone did some research that showed that if you change um, the number of sort of arcs on that spiral just slightly, change the angles between them, you can't fit in nearly as many flowers. So it's just this perfectly adapted plant that fits in as many flowers as it can um, to maximise the number of seeds it can produce.
1: I know that you talk about this, about um, encouraging people to connect with nature, and I know that um, in the book you talk about where to start kind of thing so where where do we start
0: so one of my favorite ways to do this and i'm going to talk about plants because that's what i'm most familiar with um i think people often find it difficult to engage with plants because they don't move around in the same way that animals do they don't have eyes like animals many animals do and so they're often a bit harder to relate to but the thing i love to do Wherever I am, is just to get down on the ground, down to plant height, and just immerse myself in their world as we are now. And just imagine what it's like to be a bee or a fly or some kind of insect flying around. And you, it suddenly just opens your mind to this world that they live in. And you've got oxide daisy flowers the size of like trampolines. You've got these huge, great big buttercup flowers, these great bowls of yellow just high in the sky, as high as trees are for us. And, you know, what it must be like to fly around in this 3D world of all these incredible things, which are all very, very real things, but we just need to get down on the ground and have a much closer look at them to really appreciate um, what they actually are and that you know to enjoy the fact that they we share this world with them i i you know boggles my mind that we live in a world that has oxide daisies <laughs> with these it's just, it's just so beautiful I have so many interesting things going on and we often just dismiss them because we're you know at head height and wandering around we're like oh yeah it looks nice but i'm now going to get on with my day so rarely do we actually just stop sit down get down to their level and um, have a really good look and just imagine what it's like to sort of live in, in this plant world. Obviously, one of the main ways that flowering plants communicate with insects is by the scent that they produce. So before the insect even sort of claps eyes on a flower, the way it finds it is through scent. So these plants will sort of mix together this cocktail of chemicals um, that's u- unique to each uh, species and they just emit the, that into the air and it's like a it's like a trail of breadcrumbs through the air so it'll float off, the insect will sort of sniff up this scent and be like, oh, okay, that's something I want to go and visit and then it will follow that trail of scent all the way back to the flower um, but each individual species will mix different uh, cocktails of these chemicals and so... You get generalist species, which will attract all sorts of different insects to them. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got plants that will attract individual insect species to come and pollinate them. So you have all these different strategies going on, Um, but yeah, scent is so important.
1: But Imagine if we could smell like that. Imagine walking through a wildflower meadow; it would just be overwhelming. It would be completely so overwhelming. overwhelming, and the and the eyes. So maybe you need to find someone who'll do that. What's it called? Virtual reality thing, where mm. you can get the smell and the and the sight, and you can kind of. I don't know. I don't know much about virtual reality, to be honest. There's a yellow butterfly.
0: Ah, oh, brimstone.
1: Brimstone. Okay. Okay. So we need to get down. I think we need to get down.
0: Yeah. A little bit <laughs>
1: closer. So. Um, we've got these beautiful little yellowy pinky
0: yes oh my goodness there's so much going on Um, (laughs) so this is what i love to do this is like plant height and now when you're actually below the oxide daisy looking up into the inflorescence the flower head that's when you get that real sense of this 3d world um and what it is like to live down here but yeah we have so many plants here we have um so this one which we're looking at the yellowy reddish one is called common birdsfoot trefoil and this is a really really important plant it supports um, about 160 invertebrate species so like it's really really popular (laughs) with all sorts of different animals Um, and it's very common you'll get it in garden lawns on road verges and it it can form these great big yellow carpets of flowers like very low growing Uh, it's part of the pea family and it has lots of different uh, local names around the country and um, so one of those is eggs and bacon um, because it has yellow flowers which are like the egg yolk and then red bright red buds uh, which are kind of almost banana shaped or bacon rasher shaped <laughs> um, so that's why it's called that and then my, fa- my favorite name is one that comes slightly later in the year once the flowers have been pollinated and they produce their seed pods. Now the seed pods are sort of, I don't know, a few centimetres long and they're wrinkly and look a bit like claws. And that's actually where the name Bird's Foot comes from. Um, But the local name that I love the best is is Granny's Toenails.
1: Ooh. (laughs) And I don't
0: know who came up with that name. If there are any grannies (laughs) listening,
1: don't be offended. (laughs) Like this sort of.
0: <laughs> I just, I just love that someone at some point was like, you know what, we're going to call this beautiful plant, um, we're going to call it Granny's Toenails. But um, presumably,
1: presumably, that's one of your, um, one of your, what would I say? One of your desires is to name a flower.
0: I mean, that would be an enormous honour. Um, I'm not sure I'll ever get the opportunity to do that, but. Yeah, there's this sort of unwritten rule where if you discover a new species, you can't name it yourself. So it would have to be, I'd have to, one of my friends would have to discover something. And, you know, if they're generous enough to ask me to name it, then brilliant.
1: (laughs) So that's how it works. It's like a sort of honour to be asked to name one that someone else has found. So if you found one, you'd have to ask a friend. Do you know who you'd ask? Or is that, we don't want to talk about that. Who would you ask?
0: Oh, my friend Ben, my best friend in the entire world. (laughs) Um, yeah he would he would name it something ridiculous but um like granny's toenails toenails. yeah he's exactly the kind of person who would name something granny's toenails
1: (laughs) well good luck ben (laughs) you see when i when i was reading your book Mm -hmm. i have to say that i just thought i really go want to go on a walk (laughs) with (laughs) lave so i'm feeling really really lucky I, I mean, I know there's 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 a lot of sadness around um, loss of biodiversity in mm-hmm. this country and generally across the world, but I feel like we're turning a corner with wildflowers because there's no mow may and there's the banks that people leave for a while now. I mean, there are people who still mow in May, like my neighbor, but... I feel like, you know, I drove here today and I thought, actually, there's quite a lot of wildflowers around. I don't know if <laughs> there are... I mean, am I... No, I'm saying the wrong thing, aren't I? No, there? no
0: it's, well, it's just interesting you say that because I cycled here this morning and I was actually in tears, cycling oh, along. Because
1: um, it's June and no more May is oh, finished.
0: It's awful. There was this long, long road which curved around Abingdon. Very s- slow curve. It's basically a straight road. And between... The road and the cycle path, there was a, sh- a very narrow strip of grass. And then between the cycle path and the fences where the houses were, there was a very wide grass verge. And there was absolutely no way that that could have blocked any sight lines or, you know, caused any sorts of problems. But for at least two or three miles, it was just completely mown, And it was awful. And I was literally... <laughs> quite emotional um literally cycling along just crying and quite a of swearing as well <laughs> um but to see that and i see it everywhere i go um you're right no Mo may and these these things are brilliant and they are making a difference and so many people now are leaving their lawns to grow but it is just heartbreakingly not enough um road verges have become this incredibly important habitat. sadly. Um, Our countryside is in such a mess, such a state that road verges are now just really, really important. And so when you go and you see like road verges that are covered in like daisies or common birds for trefoil or any sort of, you know, wildflower, and then you go back the next day and it's just been strimmed and cut to the ground um, it's just awful, and we're in this biodiversity crisis. And lots of people know it, and lots of people, um, well, must know it, but don't seem to too bothered about it, and are still happy to have this sort of you know neat and tidy area where we want to keep it all. I know. All I was perfect. thinking about
1: a campaign this morning, thinking how can we get everyone to be more messy mm. and just think more messily and just leave. Because mm. I've got loads of cobwebs on my car. Mm. I thought, no, I'm not going to clean my, take my car yeah. to be cleaned. So actually, that leads me on, um, Leif, to when you did start um, becoming interested mm. in... I know it was from a very young age that you were interested in nature, but f- if I'm right in saying from what I read, it's around about 11 that you got really into the flowers. But you had this thing where you were slightly teased or you were embarrassed or it wasn't cool or what have you. So... Um, is that still the case, do you think, with young girls and boys, that if they if they get too into their nature, into their flowers, that they're teased or not? Do you think it's okay now? Do you think it's getting better?
0: I and th- were you teased? So I, I was. I was very lucky. Um, I was never bullied badly or anything, um, which I feel very lucky. I know there are lots of examples where, um, yeah, bullying is a real problem with an interest in nature. Um, well, I was... T- I, t-
1: today people get bullied for being interested in nature oh yeah
0: absolutely young people yeah I mean you know I'm not in school anymore but um yeah you still hear hear awful stories and it's such a shame I do think again it's hard for me to say because I'm not at that age anymore and not in school but my impression is that now with social media children have or teenagers have access to a whole range of young people who are just that bit older who are wildlife role models and um, you know people You being one? Oh, mm, that's very absolutely. Kind.
1: No, definitely. Um,
0: people like Lucy Lapwing um, mm. are just absolutely yeah, she's great. brilliant. Yeah. Just a breath of fresh air and so many people look up to people like Lucy and um, all these you know we we have access now to these nature role models which wasn't really the case when i was i was in school i didn't have i had i had plant role models um but they were all just a bit older they were like proper adults i had no one who was nearer my age who i could look up to but i think Um, social media has really changed that so i'm hoping that that will make it cooler at school i mean it's i find it bizarre that it's not cool (laughs) i think it could so easily have been the other way around where looking at nature was cool and not looking at it was not cool but we've somehow just fallen this way around uh, which is such a shame But
1: So you didn't have any contemporaries either that you could go off flower hunting with?
0: I had, there were a couple of people yes, who um, who also shared a love for nature I, generally at that age I was extremely shy and I did enjoy sort of nature hunting by myself um, not you know i I didn't really want company, mainly just because i i was i was self conscious at that age about my interest in it. I felt like I couldn't really properly be myself um unless I was by myself. that has changed now um, but when, yeah when
1: did that change? when did you come out
0: <laughs> um to be honest, it was it was only really a few years ago when I suddenly sort of had this realization—is the wrong word—but this realization that you know, for me, nature is everything. It is just everything. It's you know, when I'm not working um, on nature, I am outside in my free time looking at it, and so. I was suddenly like, well, okay, I know that I have friends who, they're not interested in nature, but they respect the fact that I have something that I love and I love doing. And I am just going to completely embrace it. And from that point forward, I take literally any opportunity to talk about, you know, a flower that I found on the ground or a bird that's just flown past us. and." It's all about enthusiasm. I always say that if there's someone who's enthusiastic about something that I would normally find completely mundane, like, I don't know, making cardboard boxes, if there's someone who can talk about that with enthusiasm, I'm going to be interested in it. Um, So I think whatever, whatever you're talking about, enthusiasm is key. And so I have just put all of the enthusiasm that I feel, I haven't bottled it up anymore, and it now just goes all out into... Conversations I have with friends and there are so many opportunities. I've now realized to do that you can like Even you know at the pub you're in a beer garden and there's like a beetle on the table or a bat flies past And there's just so many opportunities to be enthusiastic Oh look 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 just... <laughs> I've just spotted a
1: Oh
0: Oh, I think it's a very small shield bug
1: very it's... small Ground oh, it's very the ground. sweet. Quite well disguised.
0: Yeah, it's crawling around under this field madder, which <laughs> is a very, very small pink wildflower. Oh, I was
1: going to ask you about um, the pink one, field madder.
0: Field madder, as in like I am I'm mad- more crazy. angry than you. Yeah, oh. <laughs> madder than you. <laughs> this little
1: flower is furious about the yeah, loss of biodiversity. It is,
0: it is. Although it seems to be quite happy here, which is. It's good. tiny. It's really
1: tiny. I like the so some nice fertilizer from the rabbit. There. <laughs> the rabbits. Um, um. So that's so if you if you were out with some friends mm. and enthusing them mm. about your love of um, plants and nature in general, yeah. this isn't what they'd end up doing. So it wouldn't yeah. be um, there wouldn't be much exercise involved. There'd be a lot of.
0: No, it's um, people always joke. It's uh, <laughs> I don't really go for a walk. I go for a sit <laughs> <laughs> or like a crawl. Um, yeah, if you go for a walk with me, you end up on the floor for 20 minutes, half an hour at a time. Um, and then you walk like five metres and then repeat. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: you stop again. But so it's... do you, you take picnics and bribe them with, with food and beer? Yes,
0: yeah, maybe? yeah, yeah. That's Absolutely. the way forward. Yeah. But always... they probably
1: don't need bribing. They probably love it.
0: Well, they need bribing at first. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's brilliant to um, try and engage my friends like that. And actually what's really, really nice is that now... I, friends send me photos of things they found they text me like Leif, oh what's this what's this, and I love, I love the idea of them seeing something and like noticing a part of nature while they're out on, the, you know, on a walk or whatever, and thinking oh that looks cool, I want to know what that is, I'm going to take a photos and send, send it to Leif to see, see if he knows what it is
1: I just asked, do you know your bees? because it's got a white bottom Ooh,
0: I don't know, it's but... some kind of carder bee but I oh. don't know which kind a, a, on a what's stunning, it on? Isn't it? uh It's on a bramble flower. Bramble flower. Yeah, so that's what a blackberry looks like <gasps> before it's a blackberry.
1: <laughs> oh, that's so pretty! I've yeah. never seen that before. Love well, I have, but piece. I haven't. Didn't know I did. <laughs> well, yeah, you just
0: wouldn't expect it, it. It's this big white flower, five petals, but it's still growing from that bramble. Yeah, and a little yeah, tiny bramble. That amazing. bee has just set off the uh, process that'll turn that into a blackberry so you can come back in September and eat the fruits of its labour.
1: Oh, okay, sorry, where were we? We were talking about the... Oh, learning the names, yeah.
0: Yes, so yeah. So there are two best ways to do it, in my opinion. The first is, as tempting as it is, don't go to a nature reserve, (laughs) because nature reserves are obviously beautiful, but they are, by their very nature, full of interesting plants. And if you're trying to learn the names it can be a very overwhelming place to start. Um, you know, by all means, go and enjoy it and, and try, but don't be put off if um, you do get a bit overwhelmed. So the best place to start is literally on your doorstep. Um, often, yeah, literally. <laughs> There'll be plants growing out of the doorstep. There'll be plants growing on the cracks in the pavement, um, outside the front of the house, and, um, you know, in the garden and lawn, if you're if you're lucky enough to have a garden. And with fewer species... Much more manageable, you can get to grips with those and then just work your way out from from. And where closer you live.
1: to home, so you can remind yourself every day. Exactly,
0: yeah. This yeah. is a
1: whatever it is. Yeah. This is a. So you keep repeating it. I think yeah. that's the thing. Repeat. Repetition is you,
0: key, yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, I do this every single year, so every year it's the same characters coming back. Um, feels like old friends. Um, mm. And yet that repetition just really solidifies it. And so, in the same sense, Um, winter is actually often a really good time to start because obviously there are a few of things flowering um, in the middle of winter. There are still things in flower in the middle of winter but um, you can get to grips with a few species in the winter and then as the spring starts to arrive you can then use that as a base to build upon. So yeah the best way is definitely to start local, um, not to get overwhelmed by going to a nature reserve and uh, yeah just taking it one step at a time
1: you've been around the uk and ireland on your big flower hunt tour you've been botanizing is that actually a word botanizing
0: it is um although people often surprise i don't know i haven't actually looked it up in the dictionary maybe mm, I um, but it's, it's it botanists works. certainly use it yeah so it's literally just um the art of just wandering along and noticing the wild plants that grow around you it's as simple as that um people always people who like plants often say to me oh, i'm not a botanist um because you know i don't study it as a, as a science but i think anyone who you know goes for a walk and looks at the wildflowers you can call yourself a botanist because <laughs> yeah you, know, you might be an amateur botanist but you're you know you're looking at the plants and appreciating them and noticing them and um
1: so yeah. here's the question that you probably dread being asked <laughs> i'm gonna try it anyway um On that trip, I'm sure they're all like your children, these Mm -hmm. flowers. Mm -hmm. But did you have a favourite? Oh, no.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. Um, Well, there was one moment that was one of the best things that has ever happened to me.
1: I think Um, there's a photo of it in the book. There is, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: So I had this amazing day on the Norfolk Broads with a wonderful botanist called Joe Parmenter who um, took me around a fen and introduced me to some of the best plants I've ever seen in my entire life. And one of those was a plant called Greater Um Now, Greater bladderwort is one of our 13 or so native carnivorous plants. Huh. They live in very low nutrient conditions and they've evolved d- 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 They've evolved to deal with the low nutrients by supplementing their diet with extra protein. So they catch animals and they eat them, (laughs) which I love. I love that we have plants that eat animals.
1: Do they chew on a thick-kneed beetle?
0: (laughs) A thick-kneed beetle, no. These specific species catch um, aquatic Invertebrates that live in uh, the water, okay. so they're a water-dwelling species. They float around on the surface. They look, um, they've got like a 15 centimetre tall red stem which sticks up out of the water with a yellow flower at the top. Kind of looks a bit like a, a flag on a mast, and that's all you see above the water. And then below the water, they've got these big feathery, plume-like leaves. No roots, um, oh. and the the leaves have what look like little bubbles in them. But if you look closely these bubbles which are about the size of a pea um, they are actually they're called bladder traps and they're like a lidded pot and what the plant does is it pumps out all of the stuff that's inside there and creates this sort of mini vacuum inside this trap and then the entrance to it where the lid where the lid is there are a few hairs and when a poor little aquatic invertebrate say like a water beetle or something crawls over and nudges those hairs around it triggers the lid to open the lid opens so quickly it is actually the fastest <laughs> known movement in the plant kingdom it happens like 10 to 15 milliseconds so it's like a fraction of a second it opens the vacuum then sucks everything the water the beetle inside the tra- inside the trap it snaps shut again so it's it, it's all over in a flash. The beetle has no idea what's just happened, but it's just been trapped inside this bladder. The walls, the inside walls of the bladder, are a bit like our intestines. They're covered in bacteria, which then help to start breaking down the beetle. The bladder also releases enzymes into the, um, into the trap, which again help the break the beetle enzymes. down. Yeah. And you end up with this like beetle soup. And the bladder then just absorbs that through its walls. So the plant takes in all the nutrients, then resets itself, pumps everything out, all the water out again, and ready to go. That and is the <laughs> It's brilliant. It's just brilliant. And what I love is that this plant, it, it, so it doesn't have roots. So it's just, it's floating in the water, not rooted to the bottom. And it's just, the wind just pushes it around. It's like ditches or ponds or lakes, whatever it's on. Um, so it's literally like a botanical jellyfish. It just like floats around, hoovering up all these little aquatic invertebrates in the water, which is just brilliant. And it's like an animal. It's like an animal, yeah. Um, and what it does is just so fantastic. And it's something you know I've I've seen different species of bladderworts before, but they are so inaccessible because they're like out in the middle of the water. And so I was amazed. I was so thrilled to see it. Um, but Joe. You know, I, was, I would love to have gotten closer. Uh, but Jo, when I said this, was like, you know, she was like, hold my beer. She didn't actually <laughs> have a beer. But she, um, she had like a, this green walking, well, what I thought was like a walking pole with her. Um, but she like flicked it and it tripled in length. And it had this little hook at the end. And before I could say anything, she's like shoved it into the water. And she started playing, you know, like hook a duck at the fate. <laughs> she started like jiggling around trying to um, catch one of these bladderworts and because they're not rooted in the ground they can be lifted out of the water and so she was suddenly like hold out your hands and before I could process what was about to happen she just hoiked this bladderwort out of the water and deposited it into my hands and it was you know slimy flopped over like (laughs) sopping wet but it, the utter privilege of being able to hold in the palms of my hands this plant which is a ridiculously cool but also is usually just so inaccessible and i was there just like trying to hold myself together <laughs> just, joe's there telling me all these interesting things about you could see the bladder traps and the ones that were full were black, and the ones that were empty were like this lilac color. And it, most of them were black, so she was like, "Oh, it's feeding really well." And it remains one of the most special things that's ever happened to me.
1: I presume it's called a bladderwort mm-hmm. because it has some kind of medicinal.
0: Yeah. So any plant that has "wort" in the name, wort, wort, um, at W-O-R-T. some point. W o r t. Correct. Yes. Yeah had some kind of medicinal use in the past I'm not sure what people use bladder work for to mm. be honest um, mm. potentially, I mean the temptation is for kind of bladder related Yeah, um, but it makes you want um, to go
1: to the loo or it might help you with a bladder infection yeah, or something, potentially, maybe. Yeah, potentially,
0: yeah I definitely fact check, but there, there was this thing um, a long, long time ago, hundreds of years ago called the, the doctrine of signatures which was where people would find plants that had parts that looked like our, our body parts and they would use them to treat illnesses in that part of the body and so actually it may well be that people saw these bladder traps and was like oh uh, that maybe um maybe that could something. help with some kind of bladder infection doesn't sound so very
1: tasty does it
0: it doesn't yeah
1: mm, that sort of slimy black juicy mm. dead beetle juice So <laughs> um, bladder way,
0: it probably sounds delicious
1: I mean. <laughs> um I'm just going to ask you about that little tiny, 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 tiny white flower.
0: (laughs) It's so good. I'm so pleased. I was also about to say about this. Um, This is one of the most delicate wildflowers we have. Um, It's called fairy flax, (laughs) which is a beautiful name for a beautiful flower. It's got these five white petals, which have black streaks on them and yellow right at the middle. But this is what the size of uh, like a hole punch in paper so it's like a tiny tiny thing and the stem is so fine it looks like the flower is just hanging in midair
1: it's amazing because the stem is bending over and then the flower bends back up
0: yeah yeah saying hello pollinators come pollinate me
1: right (laughs) of course and you haven't got your um what's it called your lens you haven't got your lens you probably have got it with you right in your bag but you're not we haven't got it out today so i'm have you, yeah, what but I, I'm a bit disappointed because I, I quite I like to see a close-up of that fairy... Fairy flax. Fairy what flax. What I do have
0: is this, um, it's like a little, very cheap macro lens which clips onto your phone. So what I can do is I can actually show you, this is actually better than a hand lens because oh, we can wow. both look at it at the same time. So it just clips onto the phone camera like that. And then you can hold it Ooh. over the flower and on the phone screen and then <gasps> get this close-up. Oh. look at that look at the streaks on the on the petals that's so pretty um, it's this stunning way of opening up the natural world and
1: that makes it look quite extraordinary yeah I mean I mean the of course colours. it's extraordinary but you can't with the naked eye it's really hard to see that the yellow comes out and then turns into these black streaks
0: yeah and that
1: the most transition beautiful of thing yeah
0: it's lemony almost mustard yellow that just fades into white
1: that is How a fantastic is tool so any phone can use that little yeah, tool
0: yeah yeah so it's
1: what's it called um, again
0: it's just called a macro a macro, macro clip, clip lens mm,
1: it's like a little so clip so if
0: you pop that into google or ebay then it'll come up and it means you can take photos as well which is something I love to do because it's like an environmentally friendly way of collecting them um, which is something that's always appealed to me as well is is seeing as many as possible and, you know, getting as close as possible and having a really good look at what they look like.
1: How do you you pay the bills?
0: (laughs) All sorts of different things, basically. (laughs) You go around (laughs) looking at flowers all day. Um, So my main job is writing books at the moment. Mm. Um, I still can't believe I've fallen into this. If you told me 10 years ago that I would be spending my time traveling around looking at plants and writing about them i'd have said no that's like that's like the dream job there's no way uh you'll be able to do that and get paid for it so yeah and then i'll do all sorts of other things like leading wildflower walks um giving talks um anything really that will allow me to share my love for plants and for nature and and get people interested and engaged and aware of how important it is that we look after it because we're so lucky to have it we need it for so many different reasons and it's disappearing and it's really heartbreaking to see so my life goal is to get as many people interested in or at least just noticing wildflowers and aware of how important it is that we protect them so one of the best things you can do um if you have a garden is to let the lawn grow it's such a simple thing it costs less money takes less time you know if you let it grow even if just letting it grow sort of for a month and then cutting it so it's not too difficult to to cut it at the end of the summer if you're worried about that you can then just let it grow for these longer periods of time let the plants flower pollinators come in have a great meal Um, So they're good. The plants can then set seed and scatter their seed, which is great for them. Um, But the most important thing is that whenever you do mow it, it's to remove the grass clippings. Because it may sound counterintuitive, but the poorer the soil is, the fewer nutrients there are in the soil, the more wildflowers you'll have. So if you don't pick up the grass clippings, then they will break down and all the nutrients in the grass will just go straight back into the soil. But if you remove the grass clippings, obviously all the nutrients that are in those blades of grass um, won't be in the soil anymore. And so over time, the nutrient content of the soil goes down and that creates this um, low nutrient environment where you've got this even playing field where all the different species can compete with each other um, and no, none of them have an advantage, uh, because there are some species like nettles and hogweed and many grass species that are really, really good at taking up nutrients from the soil. So they, as soon as you've got like any kind of fertilizer in there or high nutrients, they just gobble up all the all the stuff in the soil, grow really big, really quickly, and outcompete everything else. So you just want to remove the grass clippings whenever you cut the grass. Um, but yeah, obviously, if you can leave the grass to grow and all the wildflowers to grow over the spring and summer, that's only going to benefit nature.
1: Well, there's a, presumably it's a chain, and at the bottom is the flowers. So mm-hmm. the flowers are there, the bees and the insects and over they take the, the nectar, mm-hmm. and that feeds them, and they pollinate as well. And then the insects are eaten by the birds, and the birds. So they're, the the plants are the vital part of the bottom of the. F- Am I saying that? Yeah, the right? food
0: chain. yeah. Yep. Plants um, are the base of the food chain. It sort of always goes without saying that the more plant species you have, the more insect species they'll be feeding on them, um, the more birds they'll be eating those insects and all that kind of thing. So if you've got lots of wildflowers, then the rest of nature is kind of taken care of. Um, they are so important. <laughs> just so important. And... I think often you get um, people are often interested in animals, and perhaps dismiss plants a little bit because they don't move around in the same way as animals. And they are arguably the most important part because if you don't have plants, nothing else will be able to survive. Um, you won't get any birds, any insects if there are no no plants around. So. They're pretty important.
1: And the insects also pollinate our food.
0: Yes. Oh, my goodness. I I can't remember the the statistic, but an incredibly high proportion of our food relies on insect pollinators. Um, And so, yeah, it's...
1: So you need to keep the insects happy by keeping the plants happy.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and those insects will then go and pollinate our crops because it would be a huge disaster if insect populations keep plummeting the way they're currently plummeting we're not going to have any food look at all these low-growing
1: wildflowers just where's fitrefoil little buttercups
0: uh yes we've got some uh bulbous buttercups in here daisies, lots of fairy flax around here.
1: The fairy flax is my new favourite.
0: It's beautiful isn't it? Yeah it's my it's new very, favourite. What's the red?
1: Um, very tall, well not very tall but <laughs> <laughs> quite like a foot and a half tall red uh, This is called common sorrel Oh, and um, right, so it's related yeah. to
0: docks and yeah. uh, the, le- the the leaves are edible and they taste sort of lemony so you oh. can add those to.
1: I think I used to chew on it things. as a child yeah. maybe. Oh butterfly
0: Oh what's that? Oh, it's a meadow brown. Ooh, that's only the second one I've seen this year.
1: Okay. And oh, another yes. one over there, so oh, now you've there, seen yeah. two. You've doubled your sighting. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, right.
0: Right, so we've... J- Ooh, there's a oh. large skipper. A what? large skipper. Again. And what's that? Oh wow. Oh,
1: what is that? Ooh, I think that's, that's a hornet. It's... M- oh, very wow. big.
0: Oh, that's beautiful, though. So, hornets are um, very docile. And... Um, it is huge isn't it look how beautiful that is but yes so they were
1: so they're not out to get us
0: not at all not at all i mean you've had lots of
1: you've had lots of stings.
0: i actually haven't i really haven't because unless you bother them uh they won't sting you Mm. um and it's same with wasps and and bees and things they don't want to sting you wasps again such an important pollinator of our crops so important. They do so much for us and yet they get um, stigmatised, obviously, so much which is such a shame. Well,
1: I I kind of think of wasps a little bit like seagulls Mm. because they'll come for your food. Yeah. (laughs) And you don't really want them to, so you have to arrange... Okay, there's a white butterfly. Oh, yes. little, Quite little. Have you seen it? Probably
0: either a small white or a green-veined white. Yeah. And thank Um. you, your butterfly (laughs) is
1: amazing. And then, so... You do have to kind of put some food somewhere else, don't you? Like people do that in the pub; they'll put a yeah. glass of cider yeah, yeah, on yeah. another on table. <laughs> One just of to those abandoned. Them, try and keep them glasses, away yeah. from. <gasps> okay, sorry, oh, right. Uh, look yep. what it is! Look what, who it, it is! It, The little thick, the big thick... Let me introduce you
0: to your very first male thick-kneed flower beater. Oh,
1: (laughs) look at those thighs. Look
0: at those thighs. They're so chunky. Do you see what I mean? How it's very obvious the difference between the male and the female.
1: They're chunky and they're metallic, Mm. shining. Those are some thighs. No, they're really, really incredible. They
0: look like tiny metallic green peanuts. (laughs) (laughs) But how amazing is that? And there it is, just working its way around those, again, on the Oxide Daisy. Oh, Ooh, look, there's a female. Oh, no, it's two males. Oh. They're fighting. Two males. <laughs>
1: Literally came right in there and yeah, jumped on him.
0: The drama.
1: Oh, he, I think he kicked him off.
0: Yeah, I think this is He's his He's obviously oxide got thicker thighs. Fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the battle of who has the bigger legs. Oh, those thighs are so beautiful. <laughs> While we're here, okay. look at this so this is a field <gasps> forget-me-not um, forget me nots most people familiar with them you've got those five uh, sky blue petal sky blue coloured petals around the edge and then a yellow ring at the flower centre now field forget-me-not is one of our commonest species, it'll grow in arable field margins it'll grow in grassland scrubby bits of land um, kind of anywhere really but they, quite tall, aren't they they are quite tall. Mm. What's this? Maybe like twenty, thirty centimeters tall. Mm. But these tiny flowers, which again are I'm trying to think of something else to compare it to, they're smaller than a hole punch. <laughs> Apparently, I love yeah, my hole t- punch they're, size. They're, um, they're Yeah, as a
1: scale. I, I, um, maybe a couple of millimeters. Yeah,
0: of a few, a few, few millimeters across, half a centimeter perhaps. But the there's this amazing thing with forget-me-nots, which is one of the most wonderful plant facts that I know and it's so simple but so brilliant so they they colour code their flowers (laughs) so at the point where so a a normal flower has this yellow ring in the middle and it's full of nectar now when an insect comes along drinks up all the nectar pollinates the flower it then leaves the pollinated flower changes its chemistry and that yellow ring at the centre fades to white and they stop producing nectar. So at that point, the insects, um, l- what they do is they learn that the... Uh, they don't see it as yellow and white because they see no, it in UV. See, yeah. But for us, they learn that the white-ringed flowers don't have any nectar. And they learn that the yellow-ringed flowers do have nectar. And so they always preferentially choose the yellow-ringed Unpollinated flowers. And so, what that does is, the forget me not is by color coding its flowers, is ensuring that all of its flowers get pollinated. And it's just this wonderful case of poetic serendipity where it's like, let no flower be forgotten. And I just think it's just amazing. It's just so perfect. And you can see, look, look, look. You can see that one's got a yellow ring. And these two flowers here have white rings just on that one little flower head. It's
1: just the most beautiful. It's just brilliant.
0: And again, with the clip-on macro lens, that becomes really, really oh, clear. It? Yeah, should we have a look? Telling people about all these amazing plants that we have in this country, um, giving, them, giving them a voice and telling their stories, and that's just makes me happy to be able to do that.
1: Thank you very much for today. It was absolutely oh, so wonderful. <laughs> we've, we've moved about... Mm, ten metres. Ten metres. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much.
2: Well, I think we can all say a big thank you to Leif and Annabelle for that truly just a divine wonder through a wildflower meadow. And I was so struck by his absolute passion for his subject matter and the tiniest flowers excited him to such an extent. I really felt that come through. Welcome to the podcast Studio, where I'm joined by the podcast team of Jack and Hannah. My name is Fergus Collins. I'm your host. What did you think? Well, you were you swept away as I was?
1: He's amazing. When I was writing notes about this, I was saying I learned so much in five minutes, and I was writing this down. And instead of writing five minutes, I wrote five meadows.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you were completely so into it, s- swamped by his, his, uh, yeah, his knowledge, his passion.
3: Jack, any outstanding? It, it, I thought it was a, an amazing episode, if I say so myself. I mean, I, even in I think it was like the first five minutes, or whatever. I got the the life-changing revelation about a daisy. Oh, yes. There's yes. loads of different flower heads, not just one flower. Who knew? Um, I already knew daisies were kind of cool with the whole sort of they open up close during the day and night. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool about a daisy when everyone thinks it's just a little sort of common flower. But then it's, it's flowers. <laughs> what I thought, yeah, yes, incredible. And he,
2: what I thought was good because flowers aren't brilliant for audio, let's face it. Although there were... <laughs> We should say it you could hear some bird song. There were black caps and all sorts of singing there. Uh, this was Heard recorded. A woodpecker, a woodpecker yes. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, there was definitely a, it was recorded back in June when there was a lot more birdsong around. But the point I was gonna make is that um he was so good at describing the flowers and their behavior and their that it felt he he created just good a good picture, or perhaps a better picture because of the insight into their behavior, than if you'd just had a little video. Majestic. Gosh, there were lots of things he brought up, though. I mean, I'm going to talk about him crying because of the verges being cut. That really got to me (laughs) because I get enraged rather than tearful. But I get enraged by unnecessary brutality and this sort of cut, 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 beautiful wildflowers moan
3: for some obscure idea of tidiness.
2: Does that get the same? Do you feel the same?
3: Yeah, it all just baffles me. I'm still still baffled by the idea that it seems to me. For, um, from looking up a few things. The main issue with letting the grass or the the wildflowers grow is visibility for sort of traffic and stuff oh, like on, that on road verges. On yeah. road verges, yeah. so I I can understand that. But that seems to be the sort of the only thing that's really you, you've got to balance out. And make sure it's cut for yeah, that. I get that roundabouts and sharp yeah. bends. Yeah, but for then, sure. There was, a, I think, later in the the episode, he he mentions about I think the phrase he used was "low-growing wildflowers," which suggests that there's fl- wildflowers that grow quite short. Yeah. So there's surely there's got to be some way there that rather than these councils and places planting a load of wildflower, letting it grow really tall for no more may and that sort of stuff, and then slicing it all down, surely it's better to plant flowers that may a wildflowers that potentially will grow shorter yeah and then your problem solved that it doesn't get too long that it needs to be cut That works
2: where they're sowing them, yeah. It's the wild places where you never can tell what's coming up. But that's a good point. Why not grow a load of birds' foot trefoil? Yeah. Little little low-growing ones. But yes, it seems there's vast stretches get mowed because it's on the council plan or whoever the landowners plan rather than any sort of reaction to what's going on. Anyway, that's a subject we have dealt with before a lot. I just felt his pain and passion and tears and agree. Hannah, was there anything that you...
1: I absolutely loved Leif's encouragement for people to get down to kind of plant height, to experience wild places as a bee. And it's almost as a child as well. You're sort that of sounds at that very level. you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think I probably do a bit more walking than he does. But yeah, I do like to sort of pay attention to the details.
2: I, he called it The Art of Noticing. I think that's what he said. To spend time really noticing the small stuff. What a skill and kind of very rewarding rather than just marching on. He talked about when he's out, he doesn't necessarily want company because he's so busy noticing things. I feel a bit of a walking grump sometimes because it's lovely to go walking in company, but I can't combine the conversational walk with an observational walk because I'm irritating. because I stop and go, oh, look, 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 look. There's so much to take in. It's not that I'm not interested in tales of of you know friends' tales, but it's more that gosh, it's just so exciting. So yeah, the art of noticing.
3: I I also liked his I guess the way he believes that enthusiasm is key to oh yeah and the things yeah. you enjoy, and I, I that really sort of I think struck a chord because I, I I think that is that is true. If you if you're enthusiastic about something. I think it doesn't. It doesn't matter. I think don't think you should shy away from something because you don't think it's a, a cool thing or a thing yeah. that's maybe the most widely accepted thing. If you're enthusiastic about something, people will find it interesting because you are. Unless enthusiastic. you're at school, unless
2: you're at school, <laughs> I'll let you into a secret. My nickname when I was about eleven in primary school, which hurt at the time, was Flower. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> because oh, I was really nice. interested in the kind of, I, I was quite a good football. I was I was quite, I, I regularly the top goalscorer, but also I was quite interested in in wildlife. So, yeah, it was meant as cruelly as possibly could be meant by my classmates at the time. And I was in a in a London school at the time, so it yeah. It does exist, so I I sort of reacted a bit against that in my teens and had a bit of, uh, like, it was a secret, hidden pleasure rather than something I would openly declare to friends. And so uh, there is
3: that uncoolness about it. I think it's becoming more of a thing with the the stuff about the environment and climate change and stuff. It's becoming more of a thing. And I I think similarly, you kind of always had it with young people that were into like classical music and there's always been that sort of thing of trying to make classical music relevant to young people again and I think they're starting as soon as sort of it becomes more topical conversational becomes more relevant when you get some of these big tv shows that for example Bridgerton off the top of my head that uses popular songs turned classical and suddenly it makes classical music a bit we'll more relevant gateway gateway drugs yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and i guess that yeah. that's kind of what i think i think is starting Do to happen now i think birds of prey are the gateway
2: into wildlife oh, yeah. birds yeah. of prey are always cool so i know a lot of people who can name buzzards spot buzzards and peregrines and things like that and that's their kites so they uh, that's a cool way to start your wildlife journey and then eventually when you're Trying to decide between a rock pipit and a water pipit, then, then, then you know you've made it. <laughs> the journey is complete. The whole subject of wildlife and loving nature while still at school and, and whether it's cool or not is something Leif indre- addressed in the podcast, but also he's recorded a little reading from his book that covers
0: exactly that. So here it is. Early on a midsummer morning, at a time when people should still be sleeping, I decided to go to the Downs. They ran west, away from the village, about half a mile from where I lived, a patchwork of farmland, dirt tracks and nameless flower-filled meadows. It had rained during the week, so the ground was soft and springy. I followed the narrow path out of the village, side-stepping muddy puddles, the red-brick farmhouse on my left, the elm hedgerow thick with ivy on my right. I had walked this way countless times before and its exposed flints and low-hanging branches were all comfortingly familiar. The day's early risers, jackdaws and rooks mostly, flapped and snapped as they fought for position in the greying ash trees that marked the start of the downs. The sky was warming from deep dawn blue to first light orange. By the wayside, thistles stood tall, their fluffy heads hung sleepily like early morning commuters. I had the place all to myself. I crossed the bumpy grassland at a diagonal, winding along a public footpath that was more obvious on a map than it was in real life. Far away, I could make out pockets of woodland visited on previous botanical expeditions. Nightwood Copse, Pope's Bottom, Hazel Hill Wood. Memories of fly orchids and bluebells flicked through my mind. A short way across the valley, the beech topped ridgeway was warm with the day's first light. Looking carefully I could just about see the faded red flag that marked the edge of Salisbury Plain as it twitched and fluttered in the gentle breeze. Before long I had reached the three oaks that marked the way through to the wheat field. Traveller's joy and honeysuckle had snaked themselves through the twigs that brushed the top of the hedge. I squeezed through the tiny gap and into the colourful field margin scattered with clover. Pyramidal orchids poked up through the grass perilously close to the edge of the crop. I followed the tree line south, until there, where the edge of the wood veered away to the left, I came to my spot. Tucked into a thicket of blackthorn was a thatched bowl of yellowing oat grass and fragrant thyme. A well-positioned beech provided a backrest, with a seat between its moss-covered roots. All around, stubbly beech husks patterned the ground, lying in wait for an unexpecting hand or backside. I wiggled myself into a comfortable position and looked out over the familiar features of the surrounding countryside. Oxeye daisies, heavy with morning dew, bowed their flower heads melancholically in the grass just in front of me. On the other side of the field, where domestic met wild, there was a tangle of lemony St John's and lilac wild marjoram bright yellow wands of agrimony were just bursting into flower. As the land sloped away, lines of wooded hedgerows layered themselves one after another, field after field, silhouettes of ever paler greys and charcoals. Further still was the shape of Pepperbox Hill running lengthways along the horizon, its crest darkened by yew woodland. I first started coming here to record wildlife when I was 11 years old. It was something that I did at least twice a week, usually rushing home from school to cycle up to the Downs for an hour or two before dinner. Pit and Ridge, as I knew it, was extremely species-rich, and I recorded nearly 300 plant species in that little corner of Wiltshire. Each year I explored endlessly, tracking down and identifying as many plants as I could. In the early spring, starry white blackthorn flowers began decorating the dark hedges, while cowslips and hairy violets formed a sea of contrasting yellow and purple in the short turf. Summer brought horseshoe betch, wild thyme, and the amber corn-on-the-cob heads of knapweed broomrape, before royal purple gentians and lilac scabious welcomed September and the start of autumn. Spending time wandering through the familiar assortment of wildflowers on Pitton Ridge was a way to place myself within the landscape. For 12 years, it was a refuge and a playground, a place where I was free to look at nature away from the judging eyes of my peers. There was always something to look at, no matter where I was or how long I had. The woods and downland occupied me for hours and provided a place from which my interest in wild plants could begin to grow. So that was
2: Leif Versuaden reading from his book Where the Wildflowers Grow, My Botanical Journey Through Britain and Ireland published by Hodder and Stoughton. Thank you very much, Leif. Thank you, Annabelle. That was an absolutely brilliant adventure. Well, that's the first episode in our season. But we've got plenty more wonderful, mindful escapes into the countryside coming up. And next week, we're on Handa, an island off the northern coast of Scotland, where I wandered around amongst Arctic skewers, puffins and guillemots. Wonderful day that I had over the summer. So join us again for that. But before we go, it's the return of the podcast post bag.
3: Yay!
2: It's it's been a while, but we've got some lovely messages in, and we'd love, we'd really love to get your thoughts and feedback and ideas and just comments on the podcast as we go along. And you can always get in touch with me. My email address is editor at countryfile.com. So please do send in your thoughts, and for the very best, addition to the podcast post bag, we will give out a Christmas present in our very last episode before the end of the season. So send them in and and as I say, we'll look for the best one or the best two even. We might be feeling generous by the end of the season. We do have a lovely sound of the week to share with you this week from listener Hannah Bowley. Now she says, I recorded this in July at Preston Sands, which is near Paynton in Devon. An hour after low tide It was, for me, a rare evening escape to the seaside and a glorious evening with the sun going down and changing the colour of the sky every few minutes. The waves came splashing onto shore and I thought I'd share it with you in the hope that it might be suitable for the podcast. Well, it is. Absolutely. Have a listen. that was great. Lovely. A classic Sound of the Week. Really nice to have a little audio postcard. From so you. nice
1: to hear the sea.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know. Here we are stuck underground in our bunker. Good good odds of getting a Christmas present so far. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, Hannah's number. Hannah is number one. <laughs> uh, we love to hear Sound of the Week that you've recorded. And what is the Sound of the Week? It could be bird song that you've recorded on your phone or like Hannah there, some waves crashing on the shore could be a waterfall it could be the sound of a tractor or, or a plane disappearing over the horizon anything we love to hear it and it's just really nice to get a sample of of what life's like where you are
1: i'd really like to hear some owls or some foxes oh, some this, yeah, this season. yeah yeah
2: that's a good one but that's it for now i hope you've enjoyed it let us know leave likes and feedback we'll be back next week until then goodbye from me and the team